Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who, when he left for college, told his dad, okay, you're the man of the house now. He is the captain. And boy, how he cried. Papa. Papa. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Ah, this is great stuff, Captain. Today we are very happy to be featuring Scissor Kick by Kings County Brewers Collective, Casey BC. This is a double dry hopped up IPA. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. Another great brew from some of our best crew. Here's a shout out to Becky in Redmond, Oregon. And a big shout out to Dan in Valley Village, California. All right, here's a shout out to Abigail in Mechanicsville, Maryland. And a big cheers, mates, to Michael in Oslo, Norway. Next up, we have Suzanne and Eric in Durham, England. And last but certainly not least, we have a big shout out to Lady Christian in Shoreline, Washington. We want to thank everybody who helped us fill up the fridge for this week's shows. If you want to help out, with future shows, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Yeah, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. Make sure you go to our website and sign up on the mailing list. Right now. Right now. That's True Crime Stop Garage. Stop what you're doing. Stop working. Just stop listening to this show and sign up now, you bastards. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
One of the high-priority leads the FBI is checking, an area man resembling the drawing of the suspect. He left his job last Friday, has not returned. But authorities will not comment further on that. Amy disappeared from the shopping center a week ago today. And today, FBI agents and Bay Village police were back in the center talking with people who might have been here then. Amy reportedly left Bay Square with a man she believed to be a friend sometime between 1 and 4 p.m. last Friday. The shopping center was busy, but few who were here remembered anything unusual about the man and the girl. What went on uh, was a ploy that was developed and carried through, and it looked like a natural uh, action going on. It didn't look out of the ordinary at all. Today, in that same 1 to 4 p.m. time frame, Officers were trying to jog memories of shoppers to possibly recall something from a week ago that they did not consider important then. Police want anyone else who was here last Friday afternoon to call them, regardless of whether they believe they saw anything. Police also are seeking other children who might have been contacted by phone, as Amy was, by a man as a friend, seeking the child's help in buying a gift for a parent. You have had some of those? Yes, we have. How many? I'm aware of at least three, perhaps more. John Harrington, Channel 3 News. This year in episodes 308 and 309 titled Amy Mahalovic, that was from June of this year, we were able to do a detailed timeline of this case. This is an unsolved abduction, assault, and murder case of a 10-year-old girl, 10-year-old Amy Mahalovic. This weekend, unfortunately, will mark a sad anniversary. It will now be 30 years to the day that Amy was abducted taken from a small shopping plaza. That was just walking distance from her middle school. The abduction was not a violent one. Amy did not scream. This was not a snatch and grab situation. A man calmly walked up to her and she left with this grown man. This was witnessed by two of her classmates. Now, for anyone who is unfamiliar with this case, don't panic. You don't have to go back and listen to episodes 308 and 309 before listening to this week's coverage. We are covering this case in a way that these are pretty much standalone portions of what is a very, very big story. So what is now a 30-year timeline of a very big case, you get that in depth in those episodes. For those that don't know our setup captain, you can listen to True Crime Garage for free on anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can get episodes from the last six months or so. Now, we have been doing this great show thanks to all of the wonderful listeners out there for four years. So the older episodes, you can listen to those for free when you download the free Stitcher app. Go to our website to learn more. Yeah, some would say four years too long. <laughs> now, I say all that, Captain, to point out that we did an in-depth interview with James Renner, the only person who has authored a book that is devoted solely to Amy's case. That was way back in March of 2016, episode 22. The purpose of this week is to discuss some of the suspects in this case. Now, the information you are going to hear today comes from many sources. 
This being an Ohio case, the two of us have been watching this case for a very long time. But one source that we will use often is Cleveland Magazine. This here is from their coverage on the 10-year anniversary, which says the Amy Mahalovic case became the most intense search for a child in local history involving every conceivable law enforcement agency and an army of volunteers. Federal, state, county, and local law enforcement personnel logged more than 60,000 official hours and thousands more off the clock. Hundreds of promising tips were tracked down and dismissed. 14,000 people interviewed. 120 potential suspects investigated and questioned intensely. 8,000 leads pursued and abandoned. The story was featured in major newspapers and on national TV shows like America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. Two million copies of the Amy poster were distributed. That is in all 50 states and in Europe and all the way to Australia. Before we get to the suspects, first let's get into some of the known and possible movements of the killer. We've talked at length about the phone call or calls to Amy's home setting up the meetup at the plaza. I do want to mention it sounds to me that police and FBI lean toward the idea that there was more than one call to Amy at home. But regardless, there was at least one. We have talked extensively about the abductor choosing Friday as the meeting up day. Let's get into the other phone call, the call from Amy to Margaret. So for those not super familiar with the case, the way this works is Margaret is at work. Jason, Amy's brother, arrives home from school. He calls his mother at work like he does every day. On a typical day, Amy would arrive home before Jason, and Amy would call Margaret at work each day when she arrived home as well. On this day, Jason is the only one to call, and he points out to his mother that Amy is not home. This is not of great concern, as Amy told her mother there was a choir tryout that day at school. Okay, then there was a second call. On this call again, Margaret and Jason They determine that Amy is still not home. Now, Margaret is a little panicked, and she's going to leave work early. But then, and this is according to Cleveland Magazine article at 3.40 p.m., Margaret gets the call that she needed. It's Amy calling to say everything is fine. Margaret asks how the tryout went. Amy said okay. Margaret asks, she said she had the impression that Amy was calling from home. So they talk briefly. And then, bye-bye, see you soon. That was the last time Margaret ever spoke to Amy. Now, before we get into the experts and what they say about this last call, I want to address this first. For so many years, in fact, up until the last 18 or 24 months, it has always just been accepted and understood that this call was made after Amy was in the company of her abductor. Now, all of a sudden, After all this time, people are starting to call that into question. I get it. It's interesting to ponder, but it seems extremely unlikely. And of course, we don't know for certain, but we do know class got out at 2.10 that day. Amy walked with friends, and it only took a few minutes to get to the shopping plaza. And most of the good timelines out there say that it was around 3 p.m. when a man approached Amy, spoke to her, and led her away. So, according to the Cleveland Magazine timeline, we have 40 minutes. That's a big discrepancy in time. 
So I absolutely believe that Amy was in the company of her abductor by this point. I think the call was made from a payphone, a motel phone, or somewhere the abductor lived or was staying. The interesting thing here, I think, is you can put a cap on the distance that they could have been from the plaza at the time of this call. And the maximum would be a 40-minute drive from the plaza. Now, people who believe that Amy would have behaved much differently during that phone call, if in the company of her abductor, that's fair. But it's possible that Amy may have been unaware that she was being abducted. Yeah, and let's remember this is supposed to be a secret shopping trip Mm -hmm. to get a present for her mother. So she wouldn't want to give away the surprise. Yeah, he could have allowed her to call and reminding her, hey, don't. You know, don't give up on this idea that we got this secret shopping trip to do. You can't tell your mother this. Now, I've had some people question why I think that a payphone is possible or would have been possible here. They point out, and this is very obvious but very good too, they point out if she was afraid, if Amy was afraid, a payphone out in the open, she could have just fled the abductor then and there. But you and I, Captain, being children of the 80s. We are old enough to remember payphones quite a bit and use them quite a bit when we were children. And one thing that I want to point out is something that's kind of forgotten today that at a lot of gas stations, do you remember the pull-up payphone? The one that was constructed in a manner that it wasn't in a booth, but it was out and it was in a way that you would just pull up with your vehicle. You wouldn't even get out of the vehicle. You would pull up and you could punch in the number and make the phone call from sitting inside of your vehicle. Yeah, This could have been a, a situation that he used there. What we do know is that a phone call happened. We can't say for certain if she was, quote, unquote, under his control, you know, meaning he had a gun or a knife on her, or he had already expressed a threat to her that would have kept her under his control. Right, but again, let's think about this logically. Are you going to take that chance have her under your control. She knows this is now abduction. She knows now that she's in some kind of danger. I'll let's have her call her mother. Or do you keep playing it cool? And yeah, I'll let you call your mother before we go shopping. Right. Either way, we do know that the call happened. We can only speculate what was going on at the time. What the experts say about this phone call, Amy checking in with her mother and the abductor allowing this call, The first lead detective on the case, Jim Tompkins, said, quote, that's critical. It bought him an hour or more. Precious getaway time for the man authorities were calling the unknown male. Expert analysts also believe this event reveals important details about the unknown male. They are certain he was standing right there and that he may have known that Amy was supposed to call. Now, this could be from something he learned from Amy on previous phone calls, or in conversation on the day of the abduction, or even possibly Amy threatening him, if in fact, by the time she figured out that he had abducted her, he's, she's saying, I have to call home. Mom and dad will be looking for me. You're going to be in trouble. So some of the experts believe that he stood there and told Amy what to say during that call. The late and great FBI agent Robert Ressler says, It tells us he was executing a bold plot that included Amy, her family, and the police, pointing out that the Bay Village Police Department headquarters is right across the street from the shopping plaza. 
He goes on to say, this is an intelligent man, presentable, well-spoken. This is a complicated personal crime. When Amy's body was found in that field three months after her abduction, the Cuyahoga County coroner and the FBI scientists determined that Amy had been deceased for some time. Most likely, the murder had occurred shortly after her abduction, probably a few days or less. She was not killed immediately. Amy did eat at least one meal after she was taken, maybe more. Her autopsy revealed blunt force trauma to the head and stab wounds to her neck. It appears that the blunt force trauma on its own was not fatal, but the stab wounds were. Over the years, Captain, there have been thousands of tips and hundreds of suspects. And in this sense, we are using the term suspects very loosely. Some of these men were just look-alike suspects. These were leads that the police received, FBI received, because somebody looked like one of the composite sketches. Right, and we've seen this with like the Delphi murders. Somebody goes, hey, look, this guy looks just like the sketch or just like the photo. But they live in California, and you can't prove that they were in Indiana at the time. So yeah. That, that's why I don't like some of these suspects. Well, and it gets difficult for law enforcement because of, of two factors. One, with the Amy case, with the Delphi case, not a lot to go on. So you have to throw that sketch out there. But they throw that sketch out to the public knowing that we're going to get a wealth of leads that are no good. Yeah. You know, they, they only need the one good one, but we're going to get a whole bunch of people coming forward saying, I know somebody that looks just like this guy in Amy's case and the Amy composite sketches. We pointed out in our previous episodes, technically there were four composite sketches released over a, it's a little more than a one year time period, but there was a sketch released the first weekend. And then FBI artists came in and did two, sketches that appear on the same flyer. And that's the one that I refer to as like the famous composite drawing where you see the two individuals. Now it was only one man that abducted her, but we have two somewhat different looking individuals in that famous composite sketch. One, two of the eyewitnesses, one claiming that they saw a man with glasses and one claiming they saw a man without glasses. So that's where the initial, I think, confusion started. Yeah, so the first composite drawing is basically a meshing of the two eyewitnesses' accounts. They were like, "All right, we'll take we'll take everything, throw it in a blender, and boom, this is the picture that po- that comes out." The FBI artist did separate ones. So why the reason why you're seeing two different composite drawings is one is from one eyewitness and one is from the other eyewitness. Both of these eyewitnesses were children, ten or eleven years old. Both of, the, both of these eyewitnesses were not up front and center when they saw this guy. They were a distance away, 25, 30 feet away, and saw this man interact with Amy. The thing that law enforcement points out and has continued to point out over the years is they think that this is a very, quote-unquote, general description of somebody. That it, this, this is not somebody that is distinguishable. Right. This is not somebody that would stand out in a crowd. And that's why you get so many lookalike suspects, because this kind of just looks like your average Joe. Right. Now, investigators said that out of all of the potential suspects ever to appear on the radar screen, less than two dozen remain priorities after acute investigating. Now, early on, on the local level, 
There was rumored to be two very good suspects. In fact, these men, they were suspects even before Amy's body was found. Suspect number one was Billy Strunek from Fairview Park. He injected himself into the search efforts. He joined the volunteers and helped to search for Amy. He was questioned several times, this both by Bay Village Police Department and the FBI. His story was checked and then double-checked. According to Cleveland Magazine, Billy was found to have serious personal problems, both medical and emotional, but all unrelated to Amy's case. Months after Amy's disappearance, he consumed a lethal amount of ethanol, dry gas, and died three days later. Right, but to be clear, they believe this was on purpose, and this was technically a suicide. Yes, and FBI agent Robert Ressler, who was briefly involved in the case, questioned this suspect personally. Ressler maintained that he had a gut feeling that Billy Strunak was hiding something. Ressler later cited this suicide as a possible indication of guilt. In Ressler's book, Whoever Fights Monsters, Ressler says Strunak was a good candidate to be the one they were calling the unknown male. Now, all other investigators insist that he was not the guy. Stephen Etter, who was a supervisory special agent for the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime, said, after his death, meaning Strunak, we had access to his home and belongings. FBI agent Dick Wren adds, there was not a shred of evidence for this or any other crime. Edder says that Billy Strunak, quote, simply didn't have the capacity to commit this type of crime. Some in the local community believe he still could have been the guy. We covered this angle of the investigation in depth on our other show, Off the Record. Yeah, now I have a couple issues with the detectives, the investigators saying that they don't think Billy was capable of doing this because mm-hmm. most people probably wouldn't be capable of dying uh, from a suicide by ingesting gasoline, right? Mm-hmm. Gas. So <laughs> that that takes a, a determined individual. And I also think just his involvement in the search, the involvement in the investigation, the contact with the mother. Um, and, and like you said, their big thing is, well, once he died from this suicide and wrestlers saying, well, he, I believe he's basically saying, right, because there's a suicide, he believes that Billy had something to hide. It might have been an indication of guilt, that he was overcome by guilt, or he was afraid that he was going to be arrested and people were going to find out what kind of monster he was and he's going to have to spend the rest of his life behind bars. Any number of those reasons or all of them together would have been enough for this individual to commit suicide is what wrestler beliefs right and then so now you have these investigators go well he's dead now and so we can investigate his property but we didn't find any evidence of any crime i don't know why but my gut has always told me that this crime was the first uh uh as far as a killing would go by this individual Mm -hmm. there might be some inappropriate touching or looking or possibly even um, exposing themselves to younger individuals. But 
uh, to me, this is a this is a one time thing, possibly never going to happen again, and and so that would lead me to believe. Well, look at somebody like Billy, and he makes a really good suspect. And then you go, well, well, we investigated his house and his property and and all that stuff, and we didn't see any sign of a crime. Well, here's what we do know: we know that there's a crime scene. I would call it a crime scene where he abducted her. Even though she went willing, I'd still call that a crime scene. And then we know that she went into a vehicle. To me, those are the two crime scenes. And then plus where her body was found. Those are the three places that we know. We don't have much evidence to uh, suggest that she went back to his house. Or or went to anybody's house. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying that you can be searching in this location. But it's like, again, what if... Like you were saying, what if the phone call was made from a hotel or a motel? And so it's like you wouldn't find any evidence at his place because he never took the victim back there. Mm-hmm. So, look, we we can't we could sit here and spin our tires all day and try to figure out why we have the FBI and we have other agencies later saying that he Billy Strunak is not our guy. They're not going to give us all those reasons. What I will say, though, too. Right, but it's not as clear that we, we don't have like some strand of DNA that we can test to make sure that it's it's Billy or not Billy, right? Correct. There is physical evidence in this case, but we do not have we do not have DNA evidence that we can test in the sense of, of current types of investigations. So but but here's here's the thing we got we got to keep in mind while we're going through these suspects okay so these same the same investigators or at least the same agencies are on record over the years as saying we're not going to 100% rule out anyone and we hear that like with the Delphi case now we can take that for their word. We can take that for what that is supposed to mean. We don't know exactly what that means behind closed doors and behind these closed door meetings that they're having regarding the suspects. When they say that, look, I, I think that if we if we were going to create a top 10 list of, of top 10 suspects in this case, I didn't just go through and pick out suspects that were mentioned in the newspaper or mentioned in local rumor or anything like that. I went through, there was, there's more than 10 of those. I went through and I picked out ones that I believe should remain on some kind of top 10 list. Now, this is just our own little garage list here, but I would leave Billy Strunak on that list until I had further information to lead me to believe that they are in fact right, that he's not their guy. They could have come across some things to say that he had a 100% ironclad alibi. Right. For that day. We don't we don't know that because that's never been said in the public. Um, they also one thing that I do want to to comment directly on, though, is where they say we simply don't believe that he had the capacity to commit this type of crime. Now, you pointed out that he consumed ethanol and, and killed himself. And that takes a certain something, I guess. But it takes a something. Well, but what what they may mean here in this is right. not so much that he couldn't have physically committed this type of crime. They may firmly believe that he was of an emotional state or he was he had these personal problems 
they may fully believe that he could have physically committed this type of crime. He wouldn't have been able to not crack or not tell someone or not come for, you see what I mean? Like that right. not only did this crime happen, but the person, as far as we know, has also never confided in anyone, never confessed to it, never, never had a mental break and just, and just came clean or, or freaked out. So that might be what in fact that they mean on this. And again, though, um, yes, there, there is a crime scene that we are unaware of. There was a place that she was killed. Yeah. That's the missing puzzle piece here. Um, but what we have Dick Wren saying is there was not a shred of evidence for this crime or any other crime that they could find at his home or in the belongings that they were able to view. Now there is local rumor in the area that, uh, and we, we have wrestler who's on record saying this. I don't know that it's in fact true, but we have local rumor that the family removed his items or had access to his apartment before law enforcement did after his death because they weren't right they weren't fully aware that he was dead at the you know immediately after his death it took some time for that word to travel to them before they went in and looked at his apartment so there's local rumor that it's like a it's a really good uh family secret you know, right. a best kept family secret that Billy Strunak did in fact kill Amy Mahalovic and his whole family knows about it and they know about it because they were able to view all of his belongings. But what we would know later is that there are things missing from the crime scene. There were items that Amy had on her person that have never been found, never been located. And we know for certain from Dick Wren's statement that they didn't find those items in the belongings or in the space that they were able to view regarding Billy Strunak. Right, which makes me wonder if the crime scene was a, a vehicle. Those items could have been left in that vehicle. That vehicle could have been discarded with all those uh, items. But one of the things that I like about Billy is when she went missing, he was a suspect. When her body was found, he, he was a suspect. And I believe today he still is a really good suspect. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL 
is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. 
Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to everyone. So suspect number two, and in fact, he may have been one of the very first suspects, even more so than Billy Strunak. He worked at the horse stable where Amy went horseback riding on the weekends. Some say he looks like the composite sketch. Personally, I think that is debatable. I would say his appearance was vaguely similar to one of the composite sketches. So this is at the Holly Hill Farms riding stable where he works. Amy was an avid horse rider. She took lessons for two years, and her favorite horse at Holly Hill was named Razzle. Holly Hill Farms, which is no longer there, but was for many years. In fact, it was just in the last few years that Holly Hill closed for good selling off all of the farmland to make room for new housing developments. Holly Hill Farms was located on Nagel Road, and the old address lists the farm as in Avon Lake, but if you look at it on a map, it was very close to where several communities meet. You have Avon Lake, Westlake, and Bay Village. Nagel Road was not far from the train tracks that ran behind the Mahalovic home. In fact, the night that Amy went missing, police and Mark Mahalovic and friends were actually looking for Amy around those train tracks. That was one area that they really focused on because Amy would ride her bike there and go back there and go back there with friends from the neighborhood. So that was one area that if you could find her, if there was a reasonable explanation as to why she was missing, if she was out on her own playing, they thought they might find her there. This, the, the night that she went missing. Now at this time, they're still trying to explain away why she is missing, right? There, the, no one was aware of the ruse used by the predator to lure her to the shopping plaza. Right. That info was not learned by the police department until Saturday morning. That's when the case officially went from a missing persons case to a kidnapping and the FBI was immediately called in. Now, most of that area back in 1989 was farmland. The man that we are talking about, the suspect, his name was Harold Bound. He actually lived at the riding stables where Amy went weekly. This dude jumps on the radar for several reasons. First, early on, investigators were fully focused on the call to Amy's house, the ruse for the meetup and abduction. Information in the call, again, 
could offer insights to who the perpetrator was. They were working off of the idea at the time that the abductor may have known Amy, Margaret, or both. Persons involved with Holly Hill stables would have known Amy and Margaret. Margaret actually would ride horses there as well. This man, Harold Bound, he was the son of the owners of Holly Hill. According to what I could find, he was a Vietnam vet and he lived in an apartment above the garage at Holly Hill. It seems that he was an avid hunter. Stories have been told of persons going to the stables for riding lessons and seeing Harold, what they said was he's wandering around in camouflage with a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. Some, I think, thought this was weird. Maybe, I mean, maybe he was just hunting. Really, from the stories I could find about his behavior, it's really a mixed bag, right? So some of the girls at Holly Hill said things like, we thought he was creepy even before Amy went missing. Others said he was strange, but thought that he suffered from PTSD from the war. Years later, his brother Greg would say that Harold was a suspect for a couple of reasons. Greg says law enforcement said that Amy was taken away in a blue pickup truck. The farm owned a blue pickup. This, from my understanding, was a shared farm vehicle, and Greg says Harold came home late on the night that Amy was abducted. Harold Bound's parents, who owned the farm and lived on the property, this kind of adds to, to the whole scenario here, they were actually out of town when she was abducted. They were down in Florida for that weekend. Which would make make sense, you know. Parents are out of town. That's where you're staying. This is a perfect opportunity. Right, and we both believe that the abductor picked that Friday for some reason. Well, that, investigators also said, here's a guy that probably left work and then probably didn't return. So, But that, that would still put him in that category. Right, right. And to be clear, I I believe in that clip that we heard, they're, they're talking about a different individual, not Harold Bound. Right, right, right. But the interesting thing here is if he lives on that property and works there, his parents are the owners. They're gone. They're out of town. Yeah, there would have been other people in and out of Holly Hill Farm that day, that weekend. But he doesn't really, does he need to be accounted for? No. Right. I mean, he, he he comes and goes as he pleased. Pretty correct. much, yeah. correct. Now, James Renner says when he first he actually interviewed or spoke to Harold on at least two occasions. He says that when first asked, Harold says he didn't know Amy from any of the other students at the stable. Then later, Harold tells Renner a very specific story about a time that he saw Amy at the stable and asked her a question. So this is completely different stories from the same guy about the same situation, two completely different answers. One to say, I wouldn't have known her from any of the other girls to then go into a very specific story about a time where he had an interaction with Amy. Right. Harold was questioned by the FBI the day after Amy was abducted. Well, that's what we say. I'm a little unclear here, Captain, if it was in fact that Saturday, because remember, the FBI was called in that Saturday. It says 
that Harold was interviewed the day after she was abducted, but it could have been that Sunday. Regardless, it's going to be that first weekend. He's questioned very early on during this whole situation. He's questioned at his apartment, and he did allow the FBI agents and the officers to come into his apartment, and he also allowed them to look around. Yeah. Not only look around his apartment, but also look around the farm property and inside of his parents' home. The FBI agents left, and when they left, they took nothing with them. The feds questioned Harold Bound multiple times the first week that Amy was missing. Harold did not like the treatment from law enforcement that he was getting, so he gathered up some of his things, and he went and checked himself into a local VA hospital. Some suspect he was trying to put up a wall between him and law enforcement. Right. His brother says that Harold believed that they were trying to pin this abduction on him. And he, he was, he got afraid. And so he went and checked himself into this VA hospital. Well, yeah. And think about this way. You're, you're working on this farm. You, you come back from war, you know, you're a little off or maybe you don't know you're a little off, but you're working around a lot of children and one of them comes up missing mm-hmm. and, and maybe, and, and you're kind of considered by at least some of the, the students to be the weird guy or the creepy guy. Right. But how many times, you know, has a school had a janitor where the guy is nothing but nice, but kids create, you know, rumors. Oh, that guy's a little strange. No, he's not being strange. He's just saying hello to you or, or saying hi to you. Uh, but, but the, those, uh, rumors uh, and speculations grow over time, too. Well, and that's the thing, too, that that I wanted to point out, where some of the kids at Holly Hill claim the guy was creepy or, or doing weird things. Sometimes things are just weird because you're a child and you don't understand a situation. Right. right? It, it you know, like, the you fa- see this dude that's wandering around in camouflage and he has a bow and arrow and you're like, What's that guy always doing here? Right. And and then but but as an adult, somebody would know a couple things. One, he he lives on the property, so he should be there. There's no reason for him not to be there. Right. Two, he's a hunter. Um and this is this is a large property that his parents own. This is private land. It's farmland. He is allowed to hunt there. Right. You know, so as an adult, that doesn't seem so weird as a kid, not going to lie, man, if I show up to ride a horse and there's some dude walking around stealth, like in the woods and in camouflage with a bow and arrow, I'm going, I'm staying away from that dude. Yeah. Or the fact that every time you show up, he's there, you go, well, well, why is this guy always here? Why is he always at work? Oh, well, he lives there or take this a scenario where a guy comes in to clean an area and maybe doesn't. Uh, say hello to the kids because yeah. he's trying to stay out of the way. Some kids will take that as, oh, this guy's being really creepy. He didn't say hello. You know? Yeah. So where we look at Harold Bound and say, does he look guilty? Does he sound guilty? I go with looking guilty. I would say no, but sounding guilty. I think yes, because of the, that to me, if, if in fact that's true, And one conversation he claims to not have known Amy at all. And then another conversation says he had direct interaction and names her specifically. Right. But that's that sounds a little weird, but that's not coming from law enforcement or investigators. That's coming from 
James Renner. And you never know, it, it could have jogged his memory, but you also right. kind of think, well, if I lived on a property where a young girl frequented and she went missing and then was later found dead, I don't know that I would forget her. So I don't know that I would need something to jog my memory. Now, Captain, I will say this, you know, back to the famous composite drawing of, of the, by the two classmates who say they saw who took Amy. In my opinion, out of the two suspects that we have discussed today, personally, I think that Strunak looks much more like the composite drawing than this Harold Bound. Right. It would be interesting to see if uh, the law enforcement did any kind of lineup with these eyewitnesses. So we do have to keep one thing in mind. And, and, and remember, you were talking to me last week about misinformation and when there is bad information thrown out there. Drives me insane. In some of these cases, it can hurt the investigation and it makes you wonder, specifically in this case, is it possible that the man who took and killed Amy does not look like the composite drawing. And therefore someone who knows something never picked up the phone or never sent an email with a tip and a name because as uncomfortable as it was to suspect a person close to them, maybe even someone they loved. Yeah. It made it so much easier for that person and so much more convenient when they looked at that composite and they were able to say to themselves, well, it can't be him. He doesn't look like the composite. Well, well, back to the truck thing, you know, eyewitnesses saying that maybe she's abducted in this truck. Okay. So my thought is if you don't have a clear cut eyewitness account of the vehicle, how sure can we be of the eyewitness accounts of the, the man they saw with Amy? Right. And and that, that kind of bothers me a little bit. Yeah, and the way that this shopping plaza is kind of divided up, you know, there's some standalone buildings in the immediate area. There's several parking lots in the immediate area. The thought is, uh, there's a couple of ways of thinking of this. One, as said earlier, this was not a violent abduction. This was not a kicking and screaming situation. Nobody that saw anything that day knew that she was being led away to be abducted. So no one saw her get into a vehicle. And the thought is either just no one saw her get into a vehicle or that he potentially parked his vehicle in an area that would be less visible and led her, you know, slightly away and then into his vehicle. Right. It makes me wonder, though. You're, you have this ruse going, hey, meet me somewhere. We're going to buy a gift for your mother. Is it possible, you know, here's a guy that works at the stables. When Amy sees me, she isn't going to be freaked out because she has seen me before. And that makes me wonder. I, I get that. The, the issue that I've always had with that and the issue that I've always had with, with people presenting a suspect that Amy would have known directly Personally, I think that it's that it's highly unlikely just in the sense that she's being told that this individual is somebody else on the phone and to arrive and learn that he is not, in fact, who he says he was makes it a, you know, weird from Jump Street right there. Right. So, all right, I'm getting off topic here. Back to Harold Bound. So law enforcement blocked off 
Nagle Road. And they searched that area extensively. And they, Captain, they searched it for days. During the search, law enforcement found a pair of sweatpants in the field or a wooded area in that immediate area. These pants very well could be the same ones that Amy was wearing. This does not help Harold one bit, of course. So law enforcement focused serious attention on him for months. They did intense surveillance, exhaustive investigation, all of this yielding nothing. Harold took polygraph tests, and I want to be clear, that's plural, tests. Uh Harold Harold requested that he be questioned after they administer truth serum. The FBI complied with this. He was subjected to questioning with truth serum pumping through his veins. Now, I can't tell you if he passed the polygraph test, and I can't tell you what the FBI thought about his answers during the truth serum questioning, but I can tell you at some point they were no longer interested in talking to him anymore. Right, which makes you believe when he's checking into a VA hospital, this is all a part of it. Hey, look, I'm being accused of something. Uh, this is uh, this is heinous. Uh, I see why an individual would want to do anything. You, know, you want to give me truth serum? You want to give me a, a polygraph test? I'm not involved in this. I, I think, and we've talked about this before, I think it's one of the scariest things in the world to think about being accused of a heinous crime uh, with little to no evidence and how much that can affect these individuals' lives. Can I, can I tell you what the local rumor and local thought was on Harold Bound and his, his reaction to the in- investigation? No, I'm tired of you talking. <laughs> so the general thought here is that mm-hmm. because he served in Vietnam, because he served in the war, that what he witnessed there, what he experienced there, left him mentally unstable. And it was... It was Harold that that understood this, though. He he knew that he wasn't of mind to put up a fight and to proclaim his innocence in the in the you know in a sense right, right, that right. that made sense to him, I guess. And the idea is that he was living at home and he was working for his parents because because of what he suffered in the war. That might have been the extent of his capabilities at that time. And then when he became under under fire and under questioning for this abduction of a girl that it, that it tipped him. And he said, this is the only way I know how to handle this. I need to go get checked out and get looked at where some proclaim that that is a sign of guilt, that he's trying to shield himself or run away from the problem. Other, others suggest that it's just, he's innocent and doesn't understand how to properly fight this. And I don't blame him. I mean, you're being talked to by, the FBI and multiple agencies. And in the end, what we do know took place is he was polygraphed multiple times. He was questioned after they administered truth serum by his own request. And at some point law enforcement, they've never cleared him, but we know that they moved on from him. Right. So again, though, I mean, could you imagine being accused of a crime like this? This is a heinous crime uh, against this young, beautiful girl this uh, smart intelligent girl she has so much promise and and you kind of know her you you at least you might not know her that well 
but she works where you uh right she there's rides. ties yeah. to you direct ties to you and and the fact that once people didn't i i'm getting flustered well, with and my words, amy's but, mother's mentioned in that phone call on the ruse and he would have no, likely yeah. have known her as well yeah but it's just once you're accused of this or there's some speculation about you and then you're trying to clear yourself and I'm sure there's some people in his family that gave him some looks and he knew that they just didn't believe him. And I just think that would crush your spirits. Yeah. I think for, for the most part, it sounds like his family had his back now regarding his brothers, Greg and his statements that appear in uh Renner's book, Amy, my search for her killer. That statement about the blue pickup truck that law enforcement said to the family that Amy was taken away in a blue pickup truck. That's the only place I've ever seen that statement. And in fact, I don't know how Greg came up with that. Maybe in fact, he was told that by law enforcement, but I've also seen public statements from very early on in the investigation where they were outright telling the public, we do not have a description of a vehicle. And on top of that, when they release these composite drawings, and I'm sorry, I'm holding these up and <laughs> yelling at the captain. When they release these composite sketches of, of who they think was at the plaza that day, right. if they had a freaking vehicle description, it would have been included on that. As you and I have said many times, vehicle description is so much easier. To, a vehicle's easier to track down than a drawing of a person. Right. And I even have um, a newspaper article from very early on, shortly after her body was found where the chief of police for Bay village is saying I would give anything for even a vague description of a vehicle. We don't have that. Right. So I don't know where that information came from, but it doesn't seem to be accurate. It may have just been a way of cranking up the heat and asking some questions and hoping that this dude might crack. But the other thing that we might, we need to think about too, when we talk about Harold, being a good suspect or not being a good suspect, you can be a good suspect in the eyes of law enforcement for a period of time and then thoroughly checked and then no longer a good suspect in their right, eyes. Right. right. So we referenced those sweatpants that were found near or on the property of Holly Hill. We, we need to think about this portion of the investigation too. the pair of pants that were found on Holly Hill farm property that made Harold or someone from Holly Hill looked like they were involved. We know the, the results of the autopsy. Remember when Amy was found, she was found fully clothed, right? Redressed after death, most likely, but fully clothed. Those pants that were found on that property simply were not hers. Now, Dick Wren, when asked around the 10 year anniversary about Harold bound specifically, Wren said he didn't do it. I'm as certain as I can be in an uncertain world is his exact quote. In fact, yeah. In and back to this blue truck thing for a second, right. you know, it's, it's heard one time you've seen it. No other time again. Is it, is it something that was brought up by Renner that was then twisted later? It's, it's a possible. Well, it was a statement from Harold's brother, Greg to Renner, right? That's what I'm saying. But the statement uh, this conversation that happened, well, was there a twist and turn to get there? You, you see what I'm saying? And and just because 
somebody put it in his book does not mean it's a hundred percent accurate is, is all I'm putting out there. Well, yeah. And that's why I said, we don't know where Greg came up with that information. Right. You know, that, I mean, he could have, he could have, it could be total fantasy for all we know. And that conversation happened 15 years after the yeah. abduction. And I think a lot of things get changed and distorted and, and, and misremembered. Now, from the uh, articles that came out around the 10-year anniversary, in regards to both of the suspects that we have discussed so far, Strunak and Harold Bound, th- this is the, the statement that they gave at the 10-year the mark. It says, investigators are virtually unanimous in the certainty that neither one of these individuals was involved in the abduction or murder of Amy Mahalovic. Well, the other thing that I like about this individual is that there's there was other phone calls made and there was a, a, a set of girls or, or one girl that actually rode horses at those stables. Uh, so there would be the connection of the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, it's, it's, we're unable to determine which in fact phone calls were connected to Amy's, Amy's case. support your love and your concern without which I would not have been able to make it through this past year a year ago today just across the street from the tree and the granite marker Amy was abducted from a Bay Village shopping center a little more than three months later her body was found let's fill the void that her passing has left with positive thoughts with a smile on our face and say she blessed our life for a while unfortunately she is gone but now we must live on city and civic leaders and law enforcement officials spoke of love and community togetherness and the Amy fund and the continuing search for the child's killer and we're not going to give up until uh, we see this thing through uh, Amy has touched our lives uh, she will live forever the monument says that Amy lives on in our hearts Amy pulled a community together as a family and we still are a family supporting each other, loving each other. We know that Amy is in God's love and care, and his love and care are with us. There was mourning, and there were drawn faces, and there were some tears, but this was not a ceremony of sorrow. Put a smile on. (laughs) Thank you for coming. In Bay Village, John Harrington, Channel 3 News. We want to thank everybody out there for listening. For everything true crime, go to truecrimegarage.com. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.